0: What's up, family? You are tuned into Law & Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Jesse Strauss. The Racial Justice Act was passed through our state legislature in 2020, offering up the possibility of overturning active court cases and in some convictions in our state, cases that at some point included influence of racial bias or discriminatory language used by anyone involved in the case that could include the judge lawyers for either side a juror or an expert witness even if it was unintentional two years later in 2022 a follow-up amendment called assembly bill 256 expanded the power of the racial justice act allowing it to be used to challenge past cases starting at the beginning of 2023 to include death sentence cases and now as of just this week january 1st this year it includes a much broader criteria opening up the opportunity for people to challenge their conviction if they're currently serving a sentence for a felony offense in a california jail prison or juvenile facility regardless of the date of conviction Okay, that was a lot of information to start with. We're going to be joined in just a moment by two guests to help us understand the ins and outs of the Racial Justice Act and what opportunities it creates for people who are surviving the racist harms done under our criminal legal system. Our first guest... Morgan Zamora is the Prison Advocacy Coordinator at the Ella Baker Center. Her work involves policy and implementation of resentencing laws in California, which includes the Racial Justice Act. She was also involved in creating an Ella Baker Center Guide for Understanding and Navigating this Law. Morgan, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jesse. And we are also joined by Chesa Boudin, uh, the executive director of UC Berkeley's new Criminal Law and Justice Center. He's also the former district attorney of San Francisco. Chesa, thank you for joining
1: us. Thank you for having me. Great to be with you and Morgan.
0: Very happy to have you both on this morning. Um, So, I started us off with an overview of the Racial Justice Act and the changes that have just been implemented as of this week. I think both of you could probably do that a lot more clearly than me. What is the Racial Justice Act and what now opens up as of January 1st of this new year? And let's start with Morgan.
2: Yeah, so the Racial Justice Act for All makes it possible for individuals who have faced racism uh, or prejudice based off of their national origin or ethnicity in their criminal legal proceedings uh, to really challenge that discrimination that's inherent in our judicial and prosecutorial systems and receive actual tangible relief uh, for that discrimination that they face. And the Racial Justice Act covers four different types of behaviors uh, that could violate Penal Code Section 745, which houses the Racial Justice Act. And that includes explicit bias toward the defendant, as well as racist statements and implicit bias at trial. And it also includes some larger uh, systemic issues as well, including charging and sentencing disparities for um, any type of charge that that individual is facing. And retroactivity uh, for the Racial Justice Act began on January 1st, 2024, as you said, which allows anyone who is currently incarcerated in the state of California or a felony offense to make a potential RJA claim based on the bias that they've experienced. Previously, the RJA only applied to individuals who were recently arrested or currently going through trial in addition to those serving death sentences and those facing immigration consequences. And by January 1st, 2026, every individual who is currently or formerly incarcerated for a felony offense in California, or that has ever been committed to the Department of Juvenile Justice will be eligible to file a claim.
0: Thank you, Morgan. Chesa, it's hard for me to uh, think about or imagine a portion of the criminal legal system that does not have some amount of implicit or explicit racial bias in it. Can you give us some examples of of how this could impact our our folks and also what proportion of folks um, who've been charged and convicted of of crimes uh, this could impact?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, let me start by, by saying, Obviously, Morgan did a phenomenal job summarizing. And I only want to add, you know, one or two additional points, which is that the Racial Justice Act for All is a really groundbreaking piece of legislation sponsored by uh championed by Assemblymember Ash Kara. And um, what it does that's so critically different than other precedent. Um, around the country from courts and from legislatures when it comes to racial bias is it recognizes that there is all kinds of racial bias and that we cannot call our system just if we simply look the other way. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court precedent since the 1970s, uh, going back to a series of cases around uh, the death penalty uh, in Georgia in particular, have essentially said that a defendant must or a, a person claiming. Uh, to be a victim of racial bias, must prove that they were uh, intentionally discriminated against. That's a very hard thing to prove. Uh, the S- Supreme Court has said it's not enough to show that there's implicit bias or that there is um, overwhelming uh, statistical evidence of racial bias. You have to prove in- intentional case-specific bias. And, and what this law says is, no, that's not justice. It, it is enough to show that you were the victim of racial bias, even if implicit, even if it is statistical evidence and not necessarily specific to you versus other people. Um, that's an important distinction. And, and to your question, it creates the potential for relief or remedies for huge numbers of people currently and formerly incarcerated in in, um, in state prison in the state of California. Um, there are uh, a, a lot of pieces of misinformation circulating. And I want to be very clear that the relief offered is not always necessarily going to be full dismissal of the charges it's important to understand that the relief after a claim has been successfully made uh, is narrowly tailored to remedying the violation that's been proved so for example i give you a a, a very recent example out of contra costa county uh, of a case that was pending trial Um, someone was charged with a whole series of serious and violent charges including gang enhancements and allegations Contra Costa Public Defender was able to successfully argue to the court that the use of gang allegations, not just in that specific case, but throughout Contra Costa um, recent history, is marred by racial bias, that people of color, black and brown, are vastly more likely to be charged with with, uh, with gang enhancements and allegations, even in cases that are substantially similar when the defendant or the person accused is 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 white or Asian. Based on that evidence, the trial court ruled that the gang allegations and enhancements had to be dismissed. The other underlying charges could proceed. That's the kind of relief, that's the kind of remedy that can be achieved using this Racial Justice Act for All. And it's something that I think uh, has the potential to apply to the majority of people in state prison.
0: Thank you, Chessa. And, and so the example that you gave was for a court process that was in its current legal proceedings, because, of course, we're saying um, the the new change as of the beginning of this year, which is the beginning of this week, is that people can go look at it retroactively. So, Morgan, I'm wondering, I, w- I want to go back to you. What does it look like for someone to challenge it so this would be post-conviction, after they've already been convicted um, my understanding is, is this correct, that it would create a new court case?
2: So uh, potentially, yes. Uh, the way that an individual who is currently incarcerated can potentially get back to court um, on a Racial Justice Act claim is that they would start by filing a habeas petition. And uh, describing that Racial Justice Act violation that they've experienced in the Grounds for Relief. Um, as well as requesting an attorney, right? So it's really important for individuals who are currently incarcerated to at least have a basic understanding of the law and um, access to their trial transcripts, um, an abstract of judgment, their criminal records, news stories, uh, any type of information that is able to help them show and prove um, at some level that they potentially have a viable Racial Justice Act claim. And uh, if a judge believes that a violation more likely than not happened based off of that uh, initial uh, violation that was described um, in the habeas petition, uh, that's a preponderance of the evidence standard. Um, it, they don't have to necessarily prove that this happened, but just that there is like that more likely than not they faced uh, racial or ethnic discrimination in their case. The judge will uh, appoint counsel and order a hearing, and uh, then the court will ultimately decide uh, if a remedy is needed based off of that discrimination.
1: And if I could jump in, Jesse, I'll just give a couple of, of, sure. of other specific examples in the post-conviction uh, context that would we'll go through the the process Morgan just laid out so, so clearly. You know, the... The the example I gave with gang enhancements happened to be pre-conviction, but it it, it could easily be post-conviction. There are numerous people in state prison serving sentences for those kinds of offenses. Uh, And if they can go back and look at the uh, data about who was charged with what in their jurisdiction during the time period uh, of their commitment, to state prison, they could also seek relief. Um, other examples include uh, efforts by the prosecution to strike all black or brown jurors, uh, include uh, racially biased language in arguments to the jury. For example, uh, we know of cases where uh, the prosecution has referred to uh, the defendant, the African-American defendant, as a gorilla or a monkey. Uh, other similar uh, race-based, racist language that could affect the outcome um, in the case can be the basis for a Racial Justice Act motion. And that's why, to Morgan's point, it's really important that people who have potential claims be able to document, um, in some cases it will be data about charging and conviction and sentencing, in other cases it will be transcripts of specific things that were done or said in their uh, in their case. Uh, it, could, it could be related to something the prosecution did, or it could be related to something that the, um, that the court did could be related to an a act or an omission by their own defense lawyer in, in some instances. Um, and the more specific and concrete um, the the claim, the more likely it, it will be to succeed. As, as Morgan said at the outset, there are numerous different categories of claims that can be made, um, even so, in the, the retroactive context.
0: So... Thank you both. We've started to now understand some of the legal implications for this. I'm also interested in some of the practical implications. Morgan, you're the prison advocacy coordinator with the Ella Baker Center, and you're working with a coalition to get information about the Racial Justice Act out. We're saying you're saying that uh, this could apply to a huge number of people who've already been convicted. How do we expect people who are particularly behind the walls? people who are locked up to get information about this and to get the legal support they might need in order to file these habeas claims?
2: Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, one of the bigger issues that we face in this is, you know, there are so many like brilliant legal minds that are currently incarcerated and that understand the law, but there are also a lot of folks that Don't have that level of literacy or understanding or the capacity to really support themselves or loved ones on the outside that are able to support them in gathering all of this information. You know, as like Chessa and I were saying, there's a lot that needs to be put together beforehand, before even bringing these Racial Justice Act claims. And it's not necessarily easy, especially for someone who is currently incarcerated that just doesn't have as much accessibility to this information to compile all of it. So something that the Ella Baker Center um, is doing, as you mentioned previously, uh, we've created our Racial Justice Act for All Guide, which is widely distributed through prisons statewide, through our prison mail program where we're in communication with over 10,000 incarcerated individuals. But that's not the full breadth and the full reach of Every individual that's going to have a Racial Justice Act claim. So it's really just trying to maintain communication with folks on the inside to be accessible. Anyone who's currently incarcerated in the state of California can write us and we're able to send them that Racial Justice Act for All Guide to hopefully provide them with the most up-to-date information on the law and at least some initial guidance on how to prepare themselves to file their RJA claims?
1: So the, 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 the work that Morgan and her team have done is, is, is really heroic, um, and it's creating an empowering access to the remedies under the Racial Justice Act for all to to really tens of thousands of people across the, the state of California. Um, there is a real shortage of lawyers that are expert in habeas claims and in the Racial Justice Act in particular, specifically in rural counties. Um, You know, some of the bigger urban coastal counties like San Francisco, Los Angeles have brilliant lawyers focusing full time on these issues, um, thinking about how they can provide support to lawyers in their office and to people out of their county and state prison um, in in vindicating their claims. But when you look at some of the the rural counties, um, you know, Trinity County and Lassen County and Um, Shasta County, there's just a real shortage. A lot of these counties don't even have public defender's offices to begin with. Um, And so the Office of the State Public Defender has uh, created a a grant program. They are seeking, um, they were seeking at the end of last year applications from lawyers or law clinics to do this kind of work with a focus on rural county service, direct service provision. Um, And, you know, I think big picture, it's an area that really does require more resources. And it's so great that, you know, Morgan and her team have been diving in, creating these guides to empower incarcerated people. Um, And, you know, the center that I lead at Berkeley Law School, the Criminal Law and Justice Center, is hosting uh, on February 2nd an all-day symposium uh, aimed at bringing together people from the defense community working on these kinds of cases and these kinds of claims to spend a a full day doing a deep dive into everything from data science in the context of the Racial Justice Act to impact litigation to um, pre-conviction claims to death penalty and habeas claims. Um, There's a real need for folks who have the, the most expertise in this to share their knowledge to help empower other lawyers, other formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated people to really do the work and um, and make good law in, a, in an area that's still very much emergent.
0: If you could answer in 30 seconds or less, Morgan, um, I'm, I'm wondering once people file their claims, what does this look like in our court system? Is our court system prepared to deal with all of these habeas claims?
2: I think it's hard to know. And I think uh, short answer is, It remains to be seen how the court will handle potentially tens of thousands of claims that come forward. Um, I think that it's going to require a lot more resources and a lot more accessibility, especially to incident defense counsel that is going to be handling this, um, and it will require a lot of court resources. So it remains to be seen, but I think that everyone can be very hopeful that uh, as retroactivity begins and we see how things play out that people will actually be receiving uh, relief under the Racial Justice Act.
0: Well, Morgan and Chesa, I really want to thank you for joining us and for doing that work to further the Racial Justice Act.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Jesse.
0: Those are the voices of Morgan Samora, the prison advocacy coordinator at the Ella Baker Center, along with Chesa Boudin, the executive director of UC Berkeley's new criminal law and justice center. He's also the former district attorney of San Francisco.
3: You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive.